Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You are now listening to This Week Explained. Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I'm Tiana with Curvin as my co-host, and together we'll help you understand the complexities of our dynamic, ever-changing world. First, let's get right to it, Curvin. What is on the agenda this week? All right, well, we will start 2024 with Russia-Ukraine, just like we did last year. Uh, Then we'll get into Israel-Hamas, but there's a ton of stuff going on in the Red Sea, And it's affecting supply chains, it's affecting pocketbooks, so we're going to get into what the U.S. and the U.K. are doing to kind of alleviate the violence that's happening there. Uh, Officially, January 1st of 2024, BRICS doubled their membership. We'll get into the countries that joined the membership, and there's a country that said that they were going to until January 1st happened. And then they said, no, we're not going to be a part of BRICS. We'll talk about that country. Finally... Uh, since we are in 2024, and we've called 2024 the what could be the craziest year uh, on record, we're going to talk about what is in store for geopolitics in 2024 and why we consider it one of the most important years. And I, first of all, am going to do the Lord's work by informing everyone that Sriracha can be purchased now. The actual <laughs> Sriracha. <laughs> now, speaking of supply chain issues, that is yeah, one thing that... That's a positive for 2024. Exactly. Somehow, Kerwin came home with a bottle of sriracha, actual authentic sriracha, after not being able to find it for, what, two years, maybe? Yeah, and, you know, all the TikToks and and old people TikToks, which is Instagram Reels. Yes. Saying, you can't find it, and you'll have to get some different ones. And we did get a different one. It's just not the same, but but I found it. Wegmans up in the D.C. area does have a whole aisle of sriracha. It was crazy. Well, dang. Do they have like other sriracha flavored things or just sriracha? No, it was just the sriracha. They're comp- They're overcompensating <laughs> for their lack of sriracha in the last two years because I've looked for it everywhere I go and could never find it. Anyways, for the sriracha lovers out there, which includes us, it is available for purchase. Again, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. Like, so we'll, we'll, we're going to buy up a thousand of them, slap some, <laughs> slap some uh, this week stickers on it, <laughs> and uh, you guys can buy it from us. No, I think just, they, that's a joke. Yeah, he's not going to actually, for obvious reasons. Anyways, let's get to the more serious <laughs> yeah. matters at hand. Um, what is the latest coming out of Ukraine? Well, like we talked about uh, for a couple months now, it's uh, my analysis that the conflict remains a stalemate entering into 2024. Uh, Both Russia and Ukraine are in a race to rebuild their offensive capabilities. This is after Russia's offensive and Ukraine's counteroffensives have kind of failed. Um, So they're 
revamping that. Now, the perception of this stalemate is certainly causing fatigue among Ukraine's partners. Uh, you know, the, their perception is deeply, deeply flawed. But is the stalemate a misconception? I mean, your analysis says the two militaries are in a stalemate, but do other analysts see it differently? Well, there are some staunchly pro-Ukrainian analysts that believe so, uh, but that perception is also flawed. Um, it's seen through the lens of a pro-Ukraine worldview, um, but, and this is a nuanced situation. While the first half of 2024 might not bring territorial changes, uh, lending credence to my analysis that it's a stalemate, the ongoing race to rebuild defensive capabilities by both Moscow and Kiev will define the long-term trajectory of this and if we get into 2025. So, so what I'm saying here is that while I do believe this is a stalemate, I don't think it's going to stay that way through the rest of 2024. And another aspect to all of this is the West. The U.S. and Western Europe face a crucial choice. Do you support Ukraine during this stalemate, like we talked about, um, until 2025 for that potential offensive, or you cede an advantage to Russia? So the uncertainty and aid right now with all those countries, it's only favoring Russia. They're bringing the fight back to Ukraine because of this. Uh, this is happening on the battlefield, and it undermines efforts to push Russia to actually negotiate. Well, then, moving on from the analysts, let's look at the two leaders. Putin and Zelensky obviously have contrasting views on how the war is going. Can you elaborate on what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, Ukraine's President Zelensky does not view the current state of the war as a stalemate. He said that uh, there's a deadline to liberate that territory that Russia took over by October of 2024. Now, Zelensky's deadline is ambitious. I don't see that that could happen. Um, and that's given Ukraine's current capabilities and then the time needed for proper training. Uh, so demanding a detailed plan from Zelensky without knowing if they're going to get that equipment, it kind of creates a problem for Ukraine and their military. And what about Putin? We know overall his views on Ukraine differ greatly from Zelensky. But is there a contrast outside of his views on Ukraine's sovereignty? Well, the, the main opposing view is that Putin still refers to this as a special military operation, while all of Ukraine, Western, the Western Europe and the U.S., and a growing number of people in Russia are viewing this as what it is, a full-scale war. Uh, this week, in a televised Q&A, the people of Russia were able to ask Putin questions. They asked The main question they asked is when this operation is going to end. Uh, they want their lives to get back to normal. That led to Putin reaffirming that there will be peace when Russia meets its goals, which haven't changed. And what he's talking about, the goal is the demilitarization and what he calls denazification of Ukraine. I wonder what, how those people felt when they responded that way. Yeah, it was it, it was wild to see. Were, were they supportive of it? Were they it like, looks, OK, yeah, let's keep going. Uh, so there are some of those there. But with within the Q&A, there were a lot more questions about uh, when this war is going to end than I thought would have been put out there. That's um, bold of them. Yeah. Honestly, hearing the dissent, you know, people not necessarily agreeing with how long this is dragging on and the amount of people that it's displacing and the amount of resources that it's taking up. I bet he wasn't too thrilled about that. No, and it, it'll affect his presidential like poll, like the polls. 
it could it very well could have an effect on that and it's it's very interesting because it counters the narrative of most of the russian media which is that things are going great in russia they you know they're they're not for lack of anything yeah they, they have all the money they need and the people are super happy well that q and a differently <laughs> yeah that q and a says that people are very worried and it is hitting their pocketbooks and the economy right. is not great um, so it's going to be a 2024 interesting year. It, and their love and their loved ones are fighting in a war that they probably don't want to be fighting in. Right. You know? That may have been supportive very in the early portion of it. But lo- look at it this way. Just like in the U.S. when uh, the U.S. invaded Iraq, at least that was initially there. People were very supportive of it. Right. So what's the best course of action for the West? Well, a realistic plan involves supporting Ukraine uh, to maintain a defensive posture in 2024 so they can prepare for that offensive operation in 2025. Now, this not only offers certainty to Ukraine's generals, but it also signals to Russia that it can't count on winning a long war of attrition. The West is going to support it. So reaffirming the West's support for Ukraine is going to go a long way in removing the perception that Russia is just going to outlast Ukraine in this war. Okay, I got it. And what about the economic aspect? Some argue supporting Ukraine comes at a high cost. I mean, it has so far. <laughs> yeah, and it, but there is this misconception that supporting Ukraine is just giving money to Zelensky and, and Kiev. Uh, much of the aid constitutes an investment in the West's own domestic defense manufacturing. Um, it also, that money's going to get paid back if Ukraine does still exist. So if Ukraine falls... The U.S. isn't getting that money back. Uh, so that that's another important aspect to this. Um, right now, the countries that are supporting Ukraine, their defense budgets exceed $100 billion per month across the 54 supporting countries. That inf- The investment into Ukraine is actually very affordable compared to that, um, and it benefits all of the U.S. allies in the long run. Then looking ahead, how do you see the West's involvement evolving? Well, let's be clear. The U.S. is in an election cycle. So all the different candidates are posturing for votes. Uh, And and right now, especially the more conservative voting base, continued support for Ukraine is very unpopular. Uh, That's because people are hurting financially. Uh, There's an unsustainable influx of migrants across the border between Mexico and the U.S. Uh, Those things need to be fixed. Uh, This is why the Biden administration has asked Ukraine to keep up the fight until 2025. The hope from the Biden camp is they can kind of use this narrative to a pro-Ukraine narrative to win an election, use that to gain even more majorities in the House and Senate. That's going to give them the ability to restart those aid packages for Ukraine. Uh, Now, if Biden loses the election, uh, a negotiated settlement between Russia and Ukraine is probably is the most probable outcome to end the war. Well, from one war to another, what is the latest in the war between Israel and Hamas? I will start with the recent developments in the Gaza Strip. Uh, We've seen Israeli forces transitioning to the third phase of their ground operation. This third phase involves withdrawing forces from the northern Gaza Strip. Uh, Now, this could enable Hamas to rebuild its military capabilities in that area. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. It does seem that Israel is shifting from major combat operation to targeted raids, trying to find hostages. Um, And they're also establishing a security buffer zone. But 
uh, decreased pressure right now might allow Hamas to regroup back into those areas in Gaza. And that goes against what Israel said that their stated war aim was. So essentially, we are seeing a strategic recalibration by Israel. Um, Now, outside of Gaza, we had a significant event with a strike targeting a senior Hamas official in Beirut. What is the significance of this strike? Right. So that was uh, Saleh al-Arori. And he played a crucial role in coordinating with Iranian officials and Lebanese Hezbollah on behalf of Hamas. It's a very important figure. Israel's been trying to to get him for a long time now. Um, Now, this targeted strike in Beirut not only eliminated a key Hamas figure, but it it raises the potential for broader regional implications and a regional war, given the involvement of Hezbollah. Speaking of Hezbollah, what are they saying about this strike since the attack happened on their turf? Yeah, Hezbollah said it was an assault on Lebanese sovereignty. Um, Also, Lebanon's prime minister accused Israel of trying to drag Lebanon into a regional war. So there have been nearly near daily exchanges of uh, missile fire between Hezbollah and Israeli forces. So that's something else that we need to to bring into this uh, because it's not just Gaza. Um, And they've been doing this since the start of the war between Israel and Hamas. so far, the violence has been limited to the area along that Israel-Lebanon border, but it could increase past that. And, and that could all change depending on further actions taken to bring the fight to Hamas leaders who are outside of Palestine. Moving to Iran, we've seen strong condemnations from Iranian and axis of resistance leaders regarding Ari's killing. So mm-hmm. how- well, as we know, Iran uses its axis of resistance, a.k.a. its proxies, to exert pressure on the U.S. and Israel. And and these condemnations serve that purpose. They have to be public and vocal about it. It, it aligns with Iran's longstanding objective of attaining regional control and then pushing the U.S. military out of the Middle East. Okay, shifting gears a bit, there's been a range of attacks and incidents from Houthi attacks in the Red Sea to missile strikes on coalition bases in Iraq. How do these events tie into the broader campaign objectives of the axis of resistance? So uh, they're really trying to draw IDF assets towards different fronts. And what this does, it creates distractions for Israel. The axis of resistance aims to erode the Israeli political will and degrade IDF material and morale. What I'm talking about there is military equipment plus the morale of the troops. This isn't just in Gaza, but across various theaters within the Middle East. Uh, There's also clashes within the West Bank. That's becoming dangerous. Uh, Those are intended to draw IDF resources away from Gaza. And that'll stretch the IDF thin in hopes of a major breakthrough for Hamas in the near future. Well, this is the perfect segue for the Red Sea conversation. Uh, Houthi attacks on ships in the Red Sea have continued. So what is latest going on there? Yeah, the situation in the Red Sea is very concerning right now. Uh, Just recently, the container ship MSC United 8 was hit by Houthi rebels. That caused disruptions in shipping routes. Fortunately, though, no injuries were reported, but this is part of an ongoing series of attacks in the region. So the Houthi rebels are not letting up. Firing attack drones and missiles into the Red Sea, (laughs) what's 
What's the significance of all of these attacks? Well, the Houthi attacks are strategic and they're also disruptive. Those are the two things they want to do in the Red Sea. They not only threaten the safety of commercial ships, but they also raise concern about global trade. Uh, that, Given about 12% of global trade passes through the Red Sea daily. Right now, the U.S. has formed a maritime task force to address these attacks. Since she brought up the new task force with the U.S., let's dive into that part of the conversation. Can you explain a little bit about the task force, who's involved, and what the mission will be? Yeah, so the the task force, which includes the U.K., the United Kingdom Navy, uh, it's called Operation Prosperity Garden, Guardian, sorry, <laughs> Operation Prosperity Guardian. Uh, the primary objective of this task force is to enhance maritime security and protect shipping in the region. Uh, the, the task force has warships from France, U.S., and U.K. Um, as of the latest information, there are five warships from these countries patrolling the waters of the Red Sea and also the western Gulf of Aden. Uh, it's where Yemen is at, actually. Uh, this strategic waterway is critical to global trade. Like I said, it has uh, you know 12% daily passing through. It's approximately 15% of seaborne trade, including significant percentages of global grain, oil, and liquefied natural gas shipments. So all those prices could be going up. Now, the mission, like you asked, of the multinational task force includes deterring and responding to any threats or attacks by the Houthi rebels, uh, but this is a defensive move only. The task force is equipped to provide protection and security for vessels transiting through this region. Um, that aims to ensure the free flow of commerce, prevent any further disruption caused by the Houthi actions. It also s- serves as a show of international solidarity against unlawful and destabilizing activities in the maritime domain. But even with this task force, um, Maersk is halting all their shipping in the region. I mean, obviously, this interrupts supply chains and it adds costs to basic goods and services. Can you, can this, not can you, can this um, recently assembled task force effectively alleviate Maersk's concerns and swiftly restore disrupted supply chains in the Red Sea? Well, the the task force success uh, in swiftly restoring disrupted supply lines depends on its abilities to effectively neutralize the Houthi threat. The task force is currently only engaged in defensive actions, so that that's like intercepting anti-ship ballistic missiles and drones, and then responding to Houthi attacks on the commercial vessels. So it's only defensive. Now, while these actions do demonstrate a commitment to maintaining maritime security, Maersk's decision to pause shipping indicates that they feel the threat level remains very high. The task force may not have completely alleviated concerns. So to swiftly restore disrupted supply lines in the Red Sea, I believe that the task force is going to need to not only address immediate security concerns, but it's also going to need to go on the offensive for a more comprehensive and sustainable solution. So until the task force begins attacking the Houthis where they are in Yemen, we're we're going to see these supply lines disrupted. And unfortunately, the repercussions are expected to be felt in everyone's wallets. Mm -hmm. Like we don't have enough stuff doing that. But anyways... Another potential disruptor for global financial markets looms with the official expansion of BRICS. What is the current status of this development, and are there any signs of strains emerging among the new BRICS members? Yeah, so as of January 1st, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, the United Arab 
Emirates, Iran, and Ethiopia officially joined BRICS. That doubled its membership. Um, the expansion is aimed at increasing the group's global influence, uh, representing a combined population of 3.5 billion people. And it has an economy that's worth over $28.5 trillion. Now, the situation isn't without complexities. There has been a twist. So talked about this in the rundown. Argentina, initially set to join, has withdrawn under its new president, Javier Millet. Uh, he's been disrupting a lot of things uh, in the global markets right now. He cited differences in foreign policy from the previous government and expressed reservations about becoming a full BRICS member. So it's worth noting that Argentina's change in attitude signals potential challenges within the BRICS group. How might, oh, excuse me, <clears throat> how might Argentina's withdrawal impact the dynamics within BRICS? Yeah, their withdrawal introduces an element of unpredictability. Malay's criticism of China and his commitment to strengthening ties with the U.S. indicate a shift in that alignment. Now, this could influence the group's cohesion. As BRICS was initially seen as a counterweight to the Western-led world, Argentina's stance might create a divergence in the group's economic and political objectives. Well, speaking of the group's objectives, how does Russia, the current BRICS president, plan to navigate the situation? Well, they aim to enhance BRICS' role, obviously, in the international financial system. They want to move away from the dollar and install a new BRICS-plus currency. So despite current strains, Putin, who does head the BRICS presidency now, he's emphasized a harmonious integration of new participants, despite what Argentina did. I'm going to be paying very close attention to uh, this planned summit in Kazan in October of this year. That's likely going to be a crucial platform for addressing these challenges and reinforcing the group's objectives. Before that happens, what should our listeners keep an eye on regarding BRICS in the coming months? All right, pay attention to how the dynamics within BRICS evolves, not so much how much it's expanding. This is especially with Argentina's shift in perspective. Remember, in August of 2023, there was some discussion about division over the potential expansion, and that came from all sides, um, but especially Saudi Arabia. They, they had a lot of trepidation about joining the group. They did anyway. So keep track of how Saudi Arabia responds to the pros and cons of BRICS+. Plus. Russia and China really need that Saudi Arabian oil money so that they can boost the alliance. Also, keep a close eye on the talks surrounding new currency. If the countries can agree on a new currency, it could cause turmoil globally, and that could lead to a possible global conflict in the near future. Oh, good. Another possible catalyst for global yeah, global conflict. Well, since you brought up the near future, let's discuss 2024. We flipped our calendars to the year of 2024 on Monday, and it doesn't appear any of the current conflicts are on the verge of a peaceful resolution. Um, elections are obviously looming large this year. Many, many, many elections are occurring this year, and there's always a chance of something not on our 2024 bingo cards to get checked off. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you focused on as we start this new hope? Full year. Yeah, we had a lot in 2023. It wasn't on the bingo cards, right? So I, I think that'll happen again in 2024. First, I'm going to keep tracking the peace deal conversations, uh, especially leading up to elections in Russia. 
Uh, it does not appear as though Israel's going to stop taking the fight to Hamas. They have already told their people that this is going to be a long, protracted war. But the key aspect of that conflict will be if Israel is pressured to reevaluate its ground offensive for humanitarian purposes. Uh, also, Venezuela and Guyana could kick off in 2024 because of actions by by the UK. I get it. Venezuela is the aggressor here, but the UK has brought naval vessels towards Guyana, and that's causing some conflict there. Uh, there's definitely going to be instability on the African continent. Uh, we're seeing that in East Africa with Ethiopia and Somalia. Real quickly, Ethiopia has made a pact with the breakaway region of Somaliland. This is drawn condemnation from Somalia. We could see some skirmishes there, not to mention all the elections scheduled for 2024. That starts in about 10 days with Taiwan. That's going to be very important to watch. China's ramping up its influence campaigns on the island because they want a friendlier candidate elected so that they can make reunification very peaceful. Uh, we're going to end this year with a U.S. presidential election that's honestly tough to assess. Multiple international entities are already increasing their election meddling campaigns, China, Russia, Venezuela. And then domestically, any perception of corruption in the election could cause massive protest. And, and anytime you have massive protests, that could escalate to violence. Well, we have said it from the start of 2023, this year is going to be a wild ride. Is there anything you're looking at that may not be on anyone's radar right now, but could potentially impact geopolitics? Like in 2023, we saw a few of those, obviously, like the short-lived coup in Russia. That was which, wild. That, that was wild. Hey, Chad, we were with you when we were right. watching that in New York City. <laughs> so anyways... Like, obviously, the coup in Russia, it probably led to the alleged assassination of Prigozhin, and mm -hmm. then the Hamas attack on October 7th. No one thought that was going to happen. And then there was that failed Ukrainian counteroffensive that was hyped up so much. Um, what do you think we could be in store for? Because humans be humaning, you know? Right. We're humaning every day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, we've really didn't see a lot of that happening uh let's go through through each so the russia coup that was crazy no nowhere did anybody see that the hamas attack you could have seen coming because you know how much iran's using their proxies does like uh, and then like you said i'm glad you said the the hyped up counteroffensive because that was supposed to change the entire war in ukraine didn't really see any of that going uh if i'm gonna make a bold prediction because that's what we need to do uh i'm just reading the tea leaves from 2023 and also, I want to come up with something that no one's looking at, because I could say Belarus officially getting involved in Ukraine. Most people would probably not be surprised by that. North Korea uh, making a bold statement with an attack in the Indo-Pacific. Most people would probably see that coming. Uh, the breakout of regional conflict in the Middle East, that's highly likely. Everybody's on edge about that. So all of those are, are very possible, even probable. I'm going to go with major upheaval in the country of Spain. I don't think a lot of people are paying attention. Right now, Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez's pact to form a coalition government with the Catalan Party has garnered protests outside of the Socialist Party headquarters in Madrid. This could cause a major turn in Spanish politics, like we're seeing in Argentina. That's if the economy takes a turn for the worse. And the reason I'm going with this event is that protests like this can get out of hand very quickly. Uh, if Spain starts to crack down on the protests violently, that's going to cause 
something very similar to what we saw in the Arab Spring that went on from 2010 to 2012. It could really change Europe. Well, thank you for all of that, Kervin. Is that all for this week? That's it for me, unless you wanted to add anything. I just want to apologize for how froggy my voice is today. Uh, I have, I'm coming down with something, I think, because I have a lot of drainage. Obviously, it sounds like it. <laughs> we are but other all than that, passing around an illness. Yeah, but it's something that's kind of hovering. It's not fully developing. Yeah. No? Like, I feel like we've been talking about drainage and so a couple of our kids had their tummies really hurt but yep. it's not really turning into anything that we can really treat yet yeah, I just don't keep know. taking zinc and vitamin c and not having it work so <laughs> that's my solution is just to stay congested and not feel like a normal just write, human it, out. Just write it out we need to go buy more tissue i think <laughs> yeah probably this is not medical advice so no yeah don't listen to us we're just talking but obviously we've been sick for for a month now with something and i feel like lots of people are having that issue lots of people one of my friends she got the flu and covid back to back my sister was really really sick for about three weeks she might even still be at the tail end of it i don't know we have some other friends who are passing around a sickness with their kids, like their son just now. Went, I mean, he went back to school um, yesterday for the first time, but he also missed the two days before Christmas break started. Wow. Being sick, And they've been passing that around. You know, Tony Miranda. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's got like well, lots I didn't of know people. the kids were sick. Well, I don't know if both of them are sick, but I know Everest and Miranda have been sharing... <laughs> oh man sharing their sickness poor that really that really sucks but lots of people are having the issue and then my other friend kate sick for a month yeah it's just lingering and it is ah. leading the conspiracy theorists to come out of the woodworks about oh yeah the new illness a, yeah that china released yeah china released um, another new respiratory illness is you know yes they're in cahoots everything revolves around politics no matter what it is yeah anyways thank you for listening to us ramble if you made it this far and we know some of you did yeah (laughs) well thank you so much for listening to our tiny little independent geopolitical podcast we hope you found it both informative and engaging if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes please let us know and if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more follow us on instagram at oakland analytics tiana thank you so much and until next week Stay safe out there.